Alright folks, welcome back to another episode of Triple G. I am your host, Stephen Kerr, aka the Ginger, and we are here coming up on week eleven NFL football. A jam-packed week in the NFL schedule. Lots to go over, lots to preview. And we're winding down in the world of golf. We have two big events, and the PGA Tour will say we'll do one more of their 2021-2022 schedule um, before they kind of wind it down for a little bit of silly season golf. We'll review what happened on the Champions Tour um, event. What a great event that was this weekend. So we've got lots to cover here on Triple G. So let's get right into it. But before we get right into it with another amazing guest here on Triple G, Will McFadden will join us shortly here. Um, let's give a shout out to all of the listeners out there and all of the support and sponsors that we've had over our year and three quarters, almost coming up on our two year anniversary here on Triple G slash Ginger and Dutch. Thank you for all your support. Just found out actually recently tonight that we are ranked 168. Um, Best new sports podcast on Apple Podcast in Canada. I know we've got some American uh, listeners out there. Some of my Buffalo uh, support and folks, thank you very much as well. But uh, I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent, but uh, I thought it was pretty darn good for a podcast just starting off here. And um, we are super excited to announce that. Folks, always like, share us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And give us a good review. We uh, haven't had a good review in a little while. We're kind of stuck at uh, um, that review number that we've been at for a little bit there. So please do pop on and give us a nice five-star review. Make sure you're smashing the subscribe wherever you find your your podcast. Apple, uh, Spotify, Anchor, wherever it may be. So uh, thank you very much and a shout out to all of support and all of the diehard listeners out there. Thank you for uh, tuning in each week. As always on Triple G, we do not disappoint uh, when we say we're going to have a great guest list. We follow through and um, we've got some great guests coming up over the next couple weeks here, but uh, we're not going to disappoint you. We're transitioning over to uh, some new software coming up here in the in the next months and into the new year. And we're also working on getting that YouTube channel going and doing some live video stuff. I know a lot of people like to consume um, their podcasts and their content via video and watching it. it makes it a little bit easier. Um, you know, you can bounce in and out and you don't have to... Uh, you know, really be tuned in and honed into it as much as you would on a traditional um, audio podcast like uh, like we've done here over the last little while here on Triple G. But folks, let's get into it. We're going to welcome our guest on. Let's bring in Will McFadden. All right, Triple G listeners, let's welcome back to the show, returning after uh, visiting us within the summer, talk and draft writer at Falcoholic and host of the Believe in Falcons podcast, Will McFadden. Will, welcome back to the show, my friend. 
Thanks, Stefan. Uh, really excited to get a chance to talk to you about uh, a team that's been I think we thought it would be when we first spoke in the summer. So uh, it'll be great to catch up. Yeah, for sure. You know, we, when we spoke, we, we spoke literally the uh, the week, I believe, before or of the draft. And we were talking a lot about, you know, are, are the Falcons going to replace Matt Ryan with a possible quarterback mm-hmm. at four, Kyle Pitts, um, even, you know, franchise left tackle and Penny Sewell or, or all different types of options uh, we kind of threw out there and bounced around. But uh, they ended up with Pitts and, and, you know, it was the right choice at four. But uh, I know you alluded to it, but are you surprised here as we sit uh, approaching, uh, you know, this upcoming week and the Falcons are sitting at four and five, a big Thursday night matchup, which you're, you're going to help us preview. Are you surprised with where we're at? Um, a little. I think if you look at it on a macro, it's surprising, right? Like, I don't think anybody expected from all of last season. Um I don't think anybody really expected this team to be hovering around 500, um, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving. But when you kind of peel back the layers of the onion and you actually look at it, um, in a, maybe it's not that surprising. I mean, their their wins really have come against kind of the worst teams in the NFL, uh, the Giants, the Jets, the um, Dolphins. And then the Saints win was think that my interest personally peaked but really uh, you know a lot of people around Atlanta and nationally started to kind of say okay you know like sure it was trying to help the Saints beat Tampa Bay and, and Tom Brady still commander out there they still had you know some of their good defensive players and the Falcons went on the road and and beat them sure you can say they lost uh, an 18 point lead late in had an 18 point lead and which I think given the state of this franchise um, and the psyche of this team, this fan base was huge to be able to come back and, uh, and win that game and pull it out. Then you go on the road again for a, a matchup that I was personally because I thought they're kind of back getting a little bit of love. They're going to get a chance to uh, match up against a team that it has kind of maybe the number one offense in the league right now with, with Kansas city, um, really looking out of sorts, although they, they kind of bounced back this past week. Um, and, man, the Cowboys just flat out kicked the Falcons' butts. And now that, uh, in a lot of ways, it's it's maybe good that they have a short week uh, uh, to bounce back against another really good opponent. I mean, the Patriots kicked the crap out of the, the Browns, who I think are a really good team. Um, but maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe, maybe they can just flush it out of the system. They're um, even if the players and coaches won't admit it, uh, and less for the coaching staff, more for the players, going up against Dan Quinn. Uh, and obviously it was, you know, even though he didn't admit it, I'm sure it was emotional for Dan Quinn as well. Um, and, and there was a lot of pride that he wanted to uh, take and taking the Falcons to the woodshed, uh, which he did. But overall, very surprising, I think, for the Falcons to be four and five. But it makes sense that a lot of their wins have come against lesser opponents uh, and maybe to get really really tough down the stretch for atlanta you know they won't get to many more wins than four um at this point of the year yeah and and you're right you know you you see some of the highlights with dan quinn he you know gets awarded the game ball after the game so that that definitely uh definitely meant something for him 
um, let's you know hone in on on. We'll start with the offensive side of the ball, and then we'll we'll get into the the Thursday matchup here. Will okay, Matt Matt Ryan, you know, kind yeah. of a Jekyll and Hyde season here. You know, fifteen TDs uh, or fi- yeah, fifteen TDs, eight interceptions, ninety three point one rating. Um, he's just kind of you know either really good, really bad. Like, he, is it is it the fact like you said that he's beaten up on these weaker teams and then he's struggling a little bit against. Um, the better teams is it offensive line is it lack of weapons like what's the explanation for his you know one week one week looking like you know 2017 16 17 Matt Ryan and then you know next week looking like a Matt Ryan that's you know out of it out of the NFL uh, here in the next year or so well I would say that um, and it's a great question because it really is a major topic of conversation here in Atlanta because on the one hand you've got this unfolding you know people want to talk themselves uh, run you know we're in Atlanta Braves just won this World Series kind of out of nowhere um, the Hawks last uh, make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals so so there's a little of an underdog um, mentality which maybe is is good is a needed thing after being kind of that loses all these leads and be ever trust ever um, so maybe that's a good thing but that, that there was a sense that that they would kind of really make this and matt ryan was is still at the forefront i should say side of that a very um, tightrope walk here with the salary and not just the salary, the, the salary cap in general, because he's going to be a huge cap hit for them next year. But I think to, to really kind of just get straight to answering your question, Matt Ryan's played, I think much, much better this season than he has in a, in a long time. Um, and even coming off of last week's stinker and it was awful. The, Moments that Matt Ryan has struggled this year, it kind of has, I, I don't want to use any excuses for Matt Ryan because he'd be the last type of person to uh, use excuses for himself. And he would always say he needs to be better, but it's kind of not been entirely Matt Ryan's fault. Uh, I think you look at the Eagles game, Jalen Mayfield just was a turnstile in his first start as a rookie. He's gotten much, much better. And um, you know, it's notable that the Falcons haven't had to make any changes on their offensive line so far this season, uh, yeah, which, and that is just crazy I've because of, they've been yeah. on their offensive line, um, the team. So that first game, no, Matt Ryan on his back constantly. Second game, it was really tight in the quarter. Falcons made a comeback against Tampa Bay, uh, you know, defending Super Bowl champions on the road, two batted balls a lot turn up to be pick sixes and then it's kind of like well matt ryan had a bad game he actually was playing really really well uh in that loss up until two unfortunate pick sixes which again kind of on balls of the line scrimmage um i think kind of the same thing against dallas in that he was under pressure a lot um he was getting hit when he was throwing um both of the passes that ended up being interceptions and an- that's actually happened on another there, there was one where Calvin Ridley um, kind of caught the ball and then dropped it right into the hands of, I want to say it was like a Dolphins defender. Um, so having a really, really strong. Uh, I think that he looks 
really confident in his decision-making. If, and if anything, I think this is like maybe the pinnacle of Matt Ryan as like, he has to be the guy on this team. Uh, he, he does this, this team has no chance to really go anywhere. If they don't have just a, a, a pilot who is like 63 years old, has seen it all, maybe not 63, let's say 55 years old has been in this career for, you know, 30 plus years, close to retirement, but still good. He's the guy I want flying when we're going through a massive storm because he's seen it all. That's what Matt Ryan is this season is he's really elevating. I think some of the guys around him, he's getting help, but he's been great. So that's what leads us to the question of what do you do with Matt Ryan? Um, I think he's played well enough to certainly deserve another season. He's got another two years on his contract, but next year's the huge cap hit. Well, some people, though, are starting to talk about, do you restructure Matt? Do you maybe try to extend a little bit? Does he take, do you come back to the table? Does he say, I'm willing to maybe leave a little bit on the table, kind of like a Tom Brady deal, to get this team back into competition quicker for the very tail end of my career? Are the Falcons interested in trying to even do that? Or do they want to totally turn to the, to the future this offseason? That is a big Matt Ryan question, but he's making it a huge question so far because he is playing, I think, so well, even though he's coming off of making one of the worst games of his career statistically. Um, but I'm still very confident that Matt Ryan can if, – if the Falcons are successful in 2021, I kind of don't see a world where Matt Ryan is not um, a drive behind that. Yeah. And that, that makes sense with trying to restructure him for sure. And, you know, he's, he's earned that right as, as uh, you know, a longtime Falcon. Will, are you surprised you look at, at some of the, the passing numbers and the rushing numbers with, with Arthur, Arthur Smith, new coach Arthur Smith coming to town that, you know, we see, you know, a little less balance than what I expected to see in Atlanta, you know, only 214 rushes compared to well over 300 passes. Did you think going into this year, that there would be a little bit more balance in Arthur, Arthur Smith's offense. And can it be explained through that, you know, that sometimes that shaky offensive line or just a lack of confidence in the offensive line, or is it, you know, Smith is evolving himself and having more confidence in Matt Ryan. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome as well. Barry, you're touching on the point. That I was very focused on um, during our, introductory press conference and that was actually i think the last press conference that i attended um in my time with the falcons but i did get a chance to to ask him um a few questions there and, and i was specifically focused on the run game because he's he's obviously coming from tennessee where he was one of the few teams you know the the titans the ravens um the seahawks in in kind of a weird way as well uh these were your offenses um, in a time where everybody is is going more to the pass. Um, So I was fascinated by that because having seen this team and knowing the running backs that were on the roster, they didn't have anything close to Derrick Henry, not, not anything close. Um, And so I I was just kind of like, what are you going to do here? You know, like, is your offense as threatening um, through the air because you don't have a, uh, a, like a true generational, like we use the word generational talent now, like way, way too soon. Derrick Henry is a generational talent. Like there just are not players like him. And that was exactly Arthur Smith was, and I, you know, I made headlines. And he was like, when you have Shaq in the middle of your offense, 
or your defense, like you're just not going to run uh, uh, the same offense that you would in, in your lineup. So I think that's what we're seeing. And I, I would credit actually Arthur Smith more for maybe shifting and, and credit Matt Ryan, I think as well, because for all of the linking now between kind of like Ryan Tannehill and, and Matt Ryan, the, the totally stark contrast is that Ryan Tannehill had Derrick Henry, who is a better player than Ryan Tannehill objectively um, in the same backfield. And I don't, I think it's Matt Ryan is still probably the best sense, which is why he wants to do. He's playing to his strengths. Yes, he doesn't have Calvin Ridley, but Kyle Pitts is still in there. He's still playing well, you know, even, even though, I mean, he's like 21st, I think, right now in receiving yards this season. Hey, Metcalf and like Christian Kirk and play like player receivers that like everybody's well aware of or kind of like star receivers in this league. I mean, he's right there, totally matching them kind of yard for yard so far this season. And I don't think outside of those two breakout games, Kyle Pitts is maybe meeting the expectations that people had. I, I don't think he's underwhelming, but I think Arthur Smith is doing a lot of this because he has Matt Ryan to work with. And it's smart because he's Patterson, even he knows what he has. He's got the versatility. He's a wide receiver um, kind of in spirit, if not in name. And it's brilliant about this, this season. So just, I mean, they, they will, they know that that is kind of the one card that they have up their sleeve that is unique in this league, just like he knew that Derrick Henry was unique in that league. And they will go in multiple plays, um, state personnel, which could be one running back, three tight ends. And they will go from jumbo with, you know, Cordero Patterson in the backfield. On the line of scrimmage and power football, just you to death. And then the very next play, kind of quick, hurry up, get to the line of scrimmage. They will go five wide, and they will throw Corderell Patterson, Kyle Pitts, Lee Smith is probably actually last, Hayden Hurst, and then Ridley or Russell Gage or whatever receiver is, is kind of in there at the moment. That's an insane amount of versatility for an offense. I think Arthur Smith knows that that's really kind of their hidden strength because um, they can't just line up and beat frankly not talented enough to sit there and say you throw your best at us we're going to throw our best at you and we're going to beat you um which is kind of what they were doing in 2016 um in 2017 they don't have that but i actually i think arthur smith um has has done as good of a job as as maybe he can the one thing that is surprising to me is if you look at a per play basis in the run game they're still 30th in the league uh i know that like the run totals they're 29th offense I would like to think that you could attribute some of that to just like the way that games have gone um and and like they they barely ran the ball at all against Dallas because they were playing from behind instead they're using their running backs as receivers but that's why the per play number is is so disappointing because it's clear that like even when they are running the ball it's not not really making that big of a difference uh so that's disappointing but I've liked what Arthur Smith has done so far yeah, and and it's he's he's got his work cut out for him moving forward here for sure. Um, mm-hmm. As we as we see here, and and I believe uh, Cordell Patterson is going to be down this week against the Patriots. 
Will, who's got to be that playmaker? You know, you look at it, only 26 plays so far this season of 20 yards or more, um, ranking 23rd in the league. So to your point, they're lacking that that explosive play that, you know, line up with our best against your best, and, and we're going to be able to beat you down the field. They've got to kind of scheme it up and, and be patient with it and take their shots when they can get them. But who's got to be that playmaker? Is it is it Zakizi, Olamide Zakizius? Is it Russell Gage? Is it Taze Sharp? Um, or is it, you know, Kyle, is, a, is are all their eggs in one basket with, you know, Kyle Pitts has got to be our big time playmaker moving forward. Oh man, Steph, first off, I, I love it because you did exactly what I did the first time that I read Alameda Zacchaeus' name. <laughs> yeah. Olamide Zacchaeus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, that the way that very helpful to remember his name because it, it's uh, Lama. Like so it's very phonetically minded his twitter handle but yes along his uh i think it's kyle pitt there's uh, there's still a, a puncher's chance i think that Corderell patterson is is suiting up um for this game on thursday night i think he uh he they didn't have to technically fill out um like a, a practice Right on Thursday, so uh, I, but they they really they kind of did some walkthrough type things. Okay, so that I think that's a good sign. I think he can he can still suit up. Um, but Kyle Pitts is really, I think, the with, with Kyle, um, um, is the, the only guy on offense I think really capable of like taking over a game. Uh, but I don't even know if Corderell Patterson is taking over a game it's it's kind of like one of those situations where uh you know so, somebody who if you forget about him for one second is dangerous enough to beat you but if you concentrate on him yeah you can you can maybe take him out a little bit uh so what's so fascinating about this specific matchup is bill belichick is like the the godfather of we're going to just take away the one thing that you do or the best thing that you do because, you know, to really win in the NFL, you got to be able to play left-handed and do multiple things. um, Even when you're not necessarily prepared to have to do that, but Bill Belichick is absolutely going to make you do that. I mean, he's, he is famous for basically taking his number two and number three corners and just doubling your number one and maybe playing your number, his number one on your number two and trying to just shut down your receivers. I mean, and Marshall Falk, the greatest show on turf, like he came up with a plan to, to keep. So like he's going to do that, but, and I'll ask you this, like if you're Bill Belichick and Cordero Patterson and Kyle Pitts are playing, is there one of them that you are from the outside more scared of right now? Um, or do you think the answer is just kind of like, Maybe Matt Ryan's the best player, and even though Bill Belichick doesn't send a ton of pressure historically, maybe you just think that like none of the receivers really scare you that much, and you're one on one. You don't think they can beat you, and you're gonna send one, two guys every single play against Matt Ryan, um, and just try to create pressure. I mean, what would you do on that? Yeah, that's. You know what is it? That is a, a great question, and and you nailed it with Belichick in terms of um, trying to eliminate your your best option. And I heard I heard the same thing with with how he tends to do it, taking his best corner, 
you know, matching them one-on-one with the number two and then, you know, bracketing your, your best option. To yep. me, the, the, the guy that scares me is like you said, is Pitts. He's the guy that, and they, and they do a great job of scheming him up. And like you said, you know, coming out in a heavy personnel, you know, 13 and, and those heavy personnels and then, and then shifting and motioning him out and, and getting him all of a sudden in a, in a mismatch to, to me, he's the guy that they've got to really keep an eye on down the field. Um, I agree. Bill Belichick's defense has changed and, and you've seen that he, you've also seen a shift to more zone defense mm-hmm. from Belichick and the Patriots this year, comparatively to a little more man to man from what we've seen back in the, you know, the Colts days. And when they used to go, you know, head to head with Peyton and those types of days. And it was, you know, that bump and run and heavy press at the line and, and really try to slow those receivers down this year. We've seen a lot more zone because they don't really have the athletes They've got great ball skill players like J.C. Jackson and, and you know, uh, Dante Hightower in the middle and at, mm-hmm. at that linebacker spot, guys that can disrupt in the secondary and get their hands on the ball and, and make plays on the ball. But in terms of, of you know, Belichick and, and that, I think Pitts is the guy you got to shut down. And you always hear, you know, you blitz the you blitz the bad ones and you cover the good ones. Well, Matt Ryan's a good one, and he's a damn good one. So mm-hmm. I think – you know, if, if you get in terms of blitz and Matt Ryan, I'm not sure that's the game plan that you want to do because he's going to find his way, even though they don't have those those playmakers, as you said. But if you can just get get the ball in the hands of, of a guy or two, like a Patterson or somebody like that, a Tajay Sharp, if, if all they've got to do is beat their man or if there's a missed tackle or one of the defenders slips, Next thing you know, you may find a, a 15, 20, 25 yard play and the Falcons start to pick a momentum, it being a home game and things can kind of turn to the Falcons way. I think you, you cover against Matt Ryan, you double up on pits and you, you kind of say, you know what, if Patterson can beat us, uh, tip your hat to it. And that's kind of would be my game plan heading into Thursday night. Yeah, I think that's I think that's- and I think I think honestly, uh, you're you're pretty spot on with what is going to happen. I think that we've seen pretty much game plan from most defenses against Matt Ryan um, so far in that they they are giving him that veteran respect. Um, and, and a lot of defenses nowadays, I think, in response to what the offenses have done and how they've evolved into really becoming pass oriented, it's kind of like, all right, we're gonna we're throwing up a tent over top. We're check down to to these guys and that is where maybe Corderell Patterson becomes your actor because he's so uh, maybe he can take a couple of short throws tackle or two and and go the distance so yeah it, that that's to me the most fun chess match um in this game defensively on uh, we'll flip to the defensive side of ball with with Dean Pease and I, I know he's had a a run in with the uh, with the media down there a couple times this <laughs> this season with some of the press conferences and and you know some of the questions that he's that, that he's receiving. You, you love a surly a surly coach, a surly yeah, veteran coach. You love it, eh? <laughs> especially a defensive coordinator, right, Will? So, oh yeah. Um, defensively, is it just a, a lack of talent? Like it, they just they've got little to no pass rush they're sitting back and they're just kind of in that bend, but don't break. And, and I get it like it's it, with injuries and there's a lot that's gone on on that side of the ball, but defensively give our listeners a quick little synopsis on, you know, what's happened throughout the season and what do you think they do defensively against the rookie quarterback? I'm thinking, you know what? We've seen 
teams kind of let the Patriots run, let the play action happen. To me, if I'm the Falcons, I'm stacking the box and I want Mac Jones to beat me. I, I, I don't I don't know if I have confidence yet in Mac Jones to do it all alone on his arm. I think you got to stop Stevenson. Uh, not sure if Harris is going to play, but uh, Stevenson, you know, racked up 20 carries for well over 100 this week against the Browns. And, you know, Hunter Henry was a weapon. To me, it's it's st- stack the box, stop the run, and make Mac Jones try to beat you with his arm downfield. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's – so it's really interesting. Uh, the Falcons' defense just kind of quickly as, as a whole still, still can't rust the passer. Um, they, they say, even though Dean Pease kind of came in here saying we're blitzing from like every conceivable place that you could blitz, uh, that might have been a little ambitious, I think, now in hindsight for him. Uh, because once he was able to get under the hood, he he uh, scenarios that you were talking about where they're kind of only really using uh, a portion of the playbook, or at least he said at the time that early on he wasn't able to really roll out all of the portions of the playbook that he wanted to, because just the learning curve, I think for a lot of these defensive players was so steep. And part of that is because Dan Quinn ran a very specific defensive scheme. And though it evolved over the years, uh, the fundamentals of also kind of the same. Um, And it was mostly the, he wanted the players to be able to play as fast as possible, free from, having to think uh you know there's a book called the inner game of tennis it's all about taking your mind out of the athlete's body and when you're performing you are just kind of totally in synergy with with your body you're just looking at where you want to hit the ball and your body responds and you're not in your own head dan quinn didn't want his defensive players to be in their own head um you know maybe in hindsight should have should have focused on the mental part of the game a little bit more but he knew that if if offenses knew how to attack a cover one, cover three, and offenses do know how to attack, the offense is going to want to do. So you kind of shrink the playbook for an offense because they're going to use a lot of cover three, cover one beaters, but your defense is ready. And that's why he emphasized take, uh, turnovers as much as he did. He wanted his defense to get, get jumps on the ball. Dean Pease, totally opposite philosophy. He wants his defense to dictate to offenses and he doesn't want offenses to know what is coming at all. So he's a very versatile, um, kind of mixes a lot of schemes together, blitzes from everywhere. Um, so he doesn't want offenses to really know what's coming at all. That is as kind of polar opposite uh, mentality as you could get for. So long story. defense right now is there's still really a work in progress. I think the gears are still ramping up. To your point about Mac Jones and the way that the Falcons will approach this, it, it's sounding like maybe they could get Dante Fowler back off of the IR this week. So that would be obviously a huge um, return, but uh, he had a kind of a middling, I guess, season last year. Certainly it was underwhelming based on what was expected. Uh, his return will be huge. Grady Jarrett is still. Grady Jarrett, but with all the extra attention and lack of help around him, uh, he's he's not like producing stat-wise. The big revelation for Atlanta this year defensively is AJ Terrell. Um, he's been he's turned into really a shutdown corner. And yeah, so one of the best corners in the league. Yeah, he's been so yeah. good. Um, I think Pro Bowl voting started 
starts today. So if you're so inclined, go vote for AJ Terrell because he is definitely deserving. And a lot of times, like the a, a great player on an underperforming team will just get overlooked for an award like that. And you'll get somebody like Trayvon Diggs, who everybody's taught. AJ Terrell has played just as well as Trayvon Diggs has this season, even if the honor insane um aj's just been absolutely like just shut down so perhaps they feel more confident given what aj terrell has been able to do in doing exactly um come after him the the downside to that is the dude is playing pretty much out of his mind (laughs) recently uh he's he's been i I mean i think it's rookie yeah. This year. Yeah. And I think that Josh McDaniels is doing a very smart job with orchestrating the offense around Mac Jones, but also really getting the most out of each individual part of this offense. I think they are um, complementing each other really, really well. And they kind of remind me of the, the version of the Falcons teams that have won games this year. They don't necessarily do one thing especially well themselves they don't make a ton of those mistakes the patriots kind of are that but they also have been able to overcome some big mistakes you know damian harris fumbling like right at the goal line multiple times i think this year um and they find ways to to bounce back and they've beaten some really really good teams so even though he's a rookie uh at this point i think you got to give mac jones a lot of respect and this falcons defense is still certainly not to the level that they can and for any fans listening right now, they will know that uh, this team definitely has a uh, history and tendency of making look like rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, you know what? You're right, you're right on all that, and I, I can't argue too much on it. The only thing I'm thinking is is that you know, short week, rookie quarterback, mm-hmm. like you said, multiple scheme. We know Dean P's scheme. We know that that he can bring. He's got some some different pressure looks that he that he likes to dial up. I just think that if you can catch the rook in a play or two where mm-hmm. you catch him off guard, you can get a sack, you can get a negative play, you can get maybe a sack fumble, you can get those one or two game-changing plays to flip the script. I think it just gives you a better chance to to go ahead and try to, per se, steal this game, if you will. Hey, buddy, from your mouth. <laughs> <That's>, uh... <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. But, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think I, I said the exact same thing, I think, in the week leading up to the Jets game. Uh, another rookie quarterback, I said. But but the, the difference proved me right, where I said, I, I think Zach Wilson is just going to make one or two kind of dumb plays. And he did yeah. exactly that, that allowed the Falcons to win the game. He threw a pick, and he turned what should have been probably like a four-yard sack late in the game in that moved the Jets like totally out of any type of range to do anything. So I don't know if Mac Jones is going to do that, but you and I are very much in the same kind of formula for, hey, you know, any anything is on the table. When it comes to somebody who is the thing that they lack is experience. If you lack talent, but you have experience, I'm kind of scared of you a little bit. But if you have talent and you lack experience, I can find some areas to uh, to exploit and make that work in my favor. Hundred percent. 
Will, that was an absolute blast, my friend. It was uh, great to have you back again. Before you go, let our listeners know uh, where we can find you because I know the last time you were with us, um, I think you've started a new podcast. So let us know where we can find you, your writing work, and the podcast. Heck yeah. Um, and this was awesome, dude. I really appreciate it. Anytime you want to have me on. But um, you can follow me on Twitter. I uh, got the Twitter game early, so I got the good handle. Um, and then the uh, podcast, it's Believe in Falcons. It is B-L-E-A-V. And you can hear that wherever you hear any of your podcasts, including this awesome podcast. So I've got a new co-host. Well, he's not new now, but Obi Mahaley, uh, former Falcons fullback, former Ravens fullback, uh, all pro in the league. And really, really uh, energetic, great, smart guy with awesome perspective. Uh, and then finally, yeah, on the Falcolic is where I am continuing to write. So anybody who has read any of my stuff over the years, mostly on atlantafalcons.com, that is now where you can find me. Beautiful. Well, thanks again, my friend. And uh, go Falcons, rise up, and uh, enjoy the Thursday nighter. Hey, there we go. It'll be a late night, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much, man. Absolute pleasure talking with Will. Um, that was Great breakdown of the uh, huge Thursday night matchup that we have coming up here this week and week 11 in the NFL. And um, nice to be able to chat and give and give my kind of thoughts on it. So I appreciate Will kind of kicking it back over to me there um, through uh, through our chat there. So that was absolutely great. And I do uh, I do agree with him. I think uh, that um, the Falcons are going to need to make a couple of big plays like I mentioned there to really kind of flip the tide in this game uh, the Patriots are a, a better squad right now and and they're playing better football than the Falcons are just complimentary football overall in general Falcons are doing a lot of good things um, but they're beating up on the lighter teams and it, and if you talk about our preview way back when in, in the summertime and, and into the the fall season we talked about the schedule like kind of will mention that don't be surprised if the Falcons were 500 through six, seven, eight, nine weeks. But now the meat and potatoes hit for them. Um, you know, you're going to have Carolina again. You're going to have the Bucks again. You're going to have the Saints again. Got the Patriots coming up here. So the meat and potatoes of their schedule is hitting here. And this is a big one for Atlanta. They cannot afford to fall to uh, to four and six. You know, even though they won't complete, be completely out of that seventh spot race here, um, you know, mathematically, that's a tough, uh, tough uh, spot, especially if Carolina can handle their business against Washington here. Um, then that would be two full games behind, you know, with only you know seven games to go. That's a that's a tough spot, especially with uh, what's ahead on their schedule. In terms of uh, New England, continue to do you know they got to continue to execute. To me, this is a, a, a this is a bigger test than what may appear. You know, seven point favorites. On the road in a short week, totals forty-two and a half. They're not caring about caring about any of that. But for me, it's Bill Belichick coming in. How does he get his rookie quarterback prepared? Had a big match coming off of a big matchup, and are they going to be too high? Short week coming in. What's the game plan? How much can you put on Max Mac Jones's plate on the road? To me, this is a game. I love Atlanta at plus seven here. At home on a short week, um, I really I think Atlanta's got a shot in this game. And like I said, I, I think that I've laid out the game plan where 
where they're going to be able to do it. Um, I think they're going to have to get a little bit more of the running game going. I just don't think you can drop Matt Ryan back, you know, 40 plus times in this game and expect him to be able to um, read the defense, elude the pressure. You know, Matthew Judon, we talked about a couple episodes with the old boy, um, you know, top five in the league in pressures, top five in the league in sacks. So he's going to be under under duress at some points in this game. And I think um, the help of a running game for Matt Ryan, the help of using Cordell Patterson and and um, Kyle Pitts in the short to intermediate passing game, get the ball out of his hands, make things easy, cheap, keep the change going, keep the change moving. And as long as the longer that Atlanta stays in this game, and, and if they can get up early, the more and more pressure that puts on the likes of Mac Jones. And eventually, to me, that's where the next step for Mac Jones is to show that you know he can do this with his arm. Uh, right now, I think the thought out is is that stop the run and sh- let me see if Mac Jones can do it. So that'll be an interesting test. I would love to see it happen here on Thursday night. What a great way to transition into our game lines. We might as well get right into it. Some big, big matchups. Let's fire through a few of them here. And then we'll get over to what we learned in week 10. And then uh, we got a little Ginger's Garbage to end it off before we send you off to break. And then we'll come back from break and flip it over into the world of golf. So week 11 game lines as we uh, flip the script here a little bit this week and do it a little bit reverse. But um, we've got Washington. Ron Rivera's Welcome back to Carolina to face his old pal by the sounds of it, Cam Newton. What a story. Taylor Hineke, those Redskins coming off a huge 29-19 to uh, 19 upset over the uh, defending Super Bowl champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Game line 40, or totals 43.5. Carolina is 3.5 point favorites. I like Washington here. I like this story. I think they've they've found their game plan. Um and I think they're playing a little bit better. Yes, Chase Young is out now. Uh, Montez Sweat is out. So a couple of the big uh, big horses up front for their big front four that wasn't really performing all that well this season are out. But uh, I'm just not sold. Uh, Cam Newton, P.J. Walker, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, that offense runs through uh, you know CMC and Chuba um, Hubbard, the Canadian boy. Uh, still doing a great job, even with Christian McCaffrey back. So I like Washington plus three on this game. Um, big matchup. Carolina's five and five. Washington trying to stay alive uh, for that seventh spot at three and six, um, similar to what we talked about earlier there. The next matchup we're going to talk about is one o'clock Sunday. Green Bay Packers, eight and two, traveling to US Bank Stadium. And the Minnesota Vikings, Vikings coming off a nice win against the L.A. Chargers. Starting to find a little bit of balance. Got the offensive game plan back. We're able to get the ball more in the hands of Jefferson and Thielen and some of their big-time playmakers. I know the Minnesota media and fan base really didn't understand um, why they were going to Conklin and Ham and some of those other players. So... um, Minnesota gets back on track, but needs to continue to stack wins here. And the schedule shapes up nicely for them. They have the opportunity to do it. I believe they've got the Lions coming up. I know the big Thursday matchup in a few weeks against the Steelers here as well. 
this to me, and, and there's no evidence behind it, but sometimes in sports, you just get a feeling. And to me, the Green Green Bay Packers don't look fully right. Minnesota is going to be playing for their season once again here at home. I, I, I love the Vikings plus two and a half, and I actually like the Vikings on a little bit of an upset here. I don't think Green Bay is is fully fully right. Um, Rodgers struggled against a, a bad Seattle defense, even at home um, with the weather getting bad. You thought you know this was gonna that was gonna be a blowout game, but it was absolutely not. It was tight right down to the end into the fourth quarter. Green Bay ended up pulling away, but um, forty nine is the total in that game. Green Bay favored by two and a half. I'll take the Vikings plus two and a half. Next up is a huge AFC matchup, and we prefaced this a couple weeks ago in terms of Indy handling their business, and now we've arrived, and this is what we thought that where we were going to be in Week 11 here for my beloved Buffalo Bills and Indianapolis Colts coming to town, now 5-5. Started 0-3, won 5 out of their last 7. Yes, they haven't beat. They haven't been any world beaters, really, for Indy. They've just handled their business on a weaker schedule. Donnie Wrightside Seymour told us this months ago as to what may happen here with Indy, and it's it's played out uh, exactly the way he foreseen it. Buffalo rebounds, nice win over the Jets, seven point favorites at home. Do not like that number, too high. These teams uh, played a tight, tight matchup in the playoffs last year. Traditionally, they play close football games. It's just one of those matchups, an old AFC. You know, divisional matchup brought back when the Colts, uh, for those going way back for all those fans, the Colts were originally, before they moved over to the South, were in that AFC uh, East with um, Miami and New England and the Jets and Buffalo. Game totals 50 on this. I like the Colts plus seven here. Uh, the Colts are a one-dimensional football team. And what I mean by that is, is that Carson Wentz hasn't shown me that he can go out and win a football game in this offense with Frank Reich, with those weapons. I know they're depleted. Um, Hilton's been in and out of the lineup with injuries. Um, Pascal's uh, injured and on injured reserve. Really, the only go-to guy that, that's been there from start to finish this season is Pittman. And he's been absolutely phenomenal for Carson Wentz in that deep passing game. But um, stop the run, stop Stop, and I shouldn't even say stop. Slow down, Jonathan Taylor. Force Wentz into some third and longs. I think this Buffalo Bills secondary, um, not being a homer, is the best in the league, hands down, uh, amongst just uh, completion percentage against them, amongst uh, yards per play. Don't even get me started on the turnovers. Nine nine players already have a pick, um, and it was pick city pick city against Mike White for sure. So they padded the stats there, but. Um, if you can force Wentz into some third and longs, that allows this pass rush that little second longer against a real stout um, Colts offensive line, probably the best in football. So to me, it's strength versus strength. And I think if the if the Bills can slow down Taylor, force some third and longs, force the Colts to go the the whole distance of the football field and really use Taylor and really kind of limit him to you know two and three and four yard runs and continue them to convert third downs i think they'll be able to get off the field enough they'll be able to get the ball back for their offense and effect effectively win this game by seven points i'm not quite sure 
But if they can do that, then I think they can cover that seven. But if the Colts can continue to uh, matriculate the ball down the field, then uh, then these Bills are will be in trouble, and it will be a, a tight uh, football game. And the Colts may walk away with this one by the time it's over. Huge matchup. I talked about this um, a couple weeks ago in terms of whoever loses this matchup, uh, Browns Bengals will miss the playoffs. And I'm going to say it again on this one: Bengals. The 405 start, Bengals and Raiders, two teams that are absolutely reeling. Both have lost two in a row. Whoever loses this one on 405 in Las Vegas is in serious trouble. I think it's going to be the Las Vegas Las Vegas Raiders. I think they're in serious trouble. I think it's caught up to them now. And uh, I'll take the Raiders on this one. But I'm keeping my, my eyes on this one because it's a big matchup for both these teams. And the big probably all... Uh, all-American matchup of the week, if you will, is the Dallas Cowboys and the Kansas City Chiefs. Game totals 55.5, 4.25 start. There's only three um, games at the 4 o'clock window, so everybody's going to get this one. Mahomes versus Prescott, huge matchup. Um, real interesting to see what happens here. I think the Chiefs got right on, uh, on Sunday night against those Raiders. I think they've got uh, got a little bit of their groove back. Mahomes impressed me. He really just, um, not dinked and dunked, but he took what the defense gave him for a lot of the game. Only made a couple real, um, not silly throws, but forced throws that ended up turning out for him. But uh, some throws that, you know, with Trevon Diggs uh, may end up going the other way if he makes those throws. But um, I see the Chiefs in an absolute shootout here, um, taking this down. 38 34 something like that this may be uh the game of the season here so do not miss out on this 425 start the third game arizona and seattle please get seattle off prime time don't ever let them be on prime time for the rest of the year three and six talked about at the start of the year the seahawks um just the just poor roster management over the last few years in terms of giving up picks and um, trading for for big name guys and and just not valuing the the building of the roster, they've really kind of let it um, let it fall away around what Russell Wilson and he's uh, he's in a tough spot now, three and six tough tough trekking. San Fran dominates the Rams on uh, on Monday Night Football. We'll talk about that in a minute there, but uh, you know last in in that uh, that NFC West and in a real tough spot. Uh, for the Seattle Seahawks, they're going to be praying that they can somehow sneak into this seventh spot and maybe scare some teams in the playoffs, but I don't think so. I just don't think this roster is good enough, top to bottom, one to 53. I think the Cardinals squash the Seahawks once and for all here, uh, push them to three and seven, and that will be the end of uh, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll in 2021. And then a big Sunday night matchup, 47 is the game total. Minus five, just got word that uh, Joey Bosa and Tillery may be out for the Chargers due to COVID-19 here on Tuesday night, November 16th, uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, hoping to have Big Ben back. Steelers got no chance if it's Mason Rudolph. They can't even beat the Lonely Lions, um, and we saw that dropping uh, drop uh, Rudolph back 50 times in a football game. Um can't even throw a four-yard pass wide open to, to Pat Fryermuth to win the football game. But um, Chargers win this game if Big Ben's not playing hands down. If Big Ben is, I like the Chargers plus five. So uh, stay tuned to our pick sixes on Saturday. 
four and two this week. So we had a better week and we're going to get you all the way through the season. That is your week 11 game lines. And like I said, we're working in reverse here. So let's take a step back now as we previewed thanks to Will McFadden and uh, a big Thursday night matchup, Pats and Falcons. And we previewed some of the big matchups in week 11, but let's take a step back into week 10 and what we learned. And I learned two things here, folks. Number one, I learned that do you smell the air? Do you feel the cold on your hands? That's charcoal and barbecue. And you can see your breath in the air. You can feel winter's coming. And what you can also feel and hear is that teams are strapping on their big boy pads. And what I mean by that is old school big boy smash mouth football is starting to come around just like it does every single year around this time. And what does everybody always say? Run the football, play good defense, defense wins championships, and these teams will start to rise. And it was proven. We've seen it. Hey, uh, Washington football team, 31 runs, 35 passes against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't know if there's a team all season that's run the ball 30-plus times against Tampa. I know you're at home. Tampa's coming off the bye. But to have the physicality and the, and the cojones to run against that defensive line that teams don't even try. Teams haven't even tried to run against Tampa all season long. Haven't even tried. Just throw it. That's all they've been trying to do. And Ron Rivera and that team comes in and stands up and, and, and turns around and hands the ball off 31 times and only drops back 35. And I'm talking runs to drop backs. So um, th these numbers may be a bit skewed because because um, a scramble by a quarterback who's dropped back that that in turn folks turns out to be um, a run, but I'm talking just I'm not talking quarterback scrambles, anything like that. If it's quarterback run, then I'll then I'll include it in the statistics. But I'm talking dropbacks to uh, to runs. Detroit Lions. Hand the ball off, and I know, hey, they got their tie. They won't, they won't go winless now. It could still be 0-16-1, but it's not going to be 0-17. 39 rushes, 33 for DeAndre Swift, um, only 25 passes. Yes, Jared Goff is awful, and the offensive line's bad, and the play calling's bad. We know that. The line's got a long way to go, but they came into Pittsburgh and out-physical Pittsburgh for a lot of that football game and said, we are going to run the ball. And Dan Campbell, who took over the play calling, geez, he was running on third and nine and picking up first downs. You know, and that's not sustainable, especially against a Mike Tomlin, Keith Butler defense in Pittsburgh. But um, big boy football's here. Even more, 29 rushes. I think 24, 25 for, uh, for Dalvin Cook and the Minnesota Vikings. Like we said, like we talked about earlier, able to get a little bit more balance. And that's the Vikings. That's Vikings 101. Um, get the running game going. Get the outside zones going. Get the inside zones going to Dalvin Cook and Madison. And then get the play action off of it. And get the the deep digs to, to Jefferson. And, and get those you know um, longer post routes to Thielen. And, and all those plays. And the play action with the quick slant to Thielen and Jefferson. Like, you know, there's, there's just those staple plays that every offense has and every team has. And and those, without the running game, it's tough for Minnesota to get to those plays and for those plays to be successful. But they did against uh, the Chargers with a, with a big victory. Um, Packers, 
30 runs, uh, 30 rushes, 39 uh, dropbacks for, for Aaron Rodgers. So some pretty good balance there in terms of uh, the Packers. And A.J. Dillon steps in nicely for, uh, for Aaron Jones there. And then the 49ers on Monday night uh, absolutely taking the soul away from the Los Angeles Rams. And I loved every absolute second of it. 18 plays, 10 or 11 minutes and three seconds and a 91-yard drive by Kyle Shanahan. What an absolute fucking masterpiece that was. 42 rushes, 21 dropbacks, um, a 60, almost 70% run pass percentage for the 49ers on Monday night. And uh, the Rams have been exposed. That is back-to-back weeks now. That heavy run teams have come in and exposed the Rams. And it's time for them to put their big boy pads on if they want to make it to SoFi Stadium here in February. Um, it's time. Uh, it's time for McVay to get those guys ready to go. It's time for Raheem Morris to get those guys ready to go. And, yeah, you, you want to, you know, you always hear this line. And, there's a, and it, it hits home with me now that you start to see more and more um, teams running the ball as the winter comes and, and that, that starts to happen and we get in later in the season. But you want to rush the passer? you got to earn it. And you got to earn it by stopping the run on first and second down. And that's that's what McVay's got to tell these guys. That's what a lot of these teams, the big sexy pass rushers with the big plays and the sacks fumbles, go out and earn it. Stop the run on first and second down and earn your pass rush on third down. Let's see if that can happen. That's what I learned in week 10. I also learned that there's some for reals and there's some frauds. Um, I I got the Chargers, Broncos, Raiders, Browns, and Steelers right now on my fraud list. My for reals, only two made it on there in the AFC. And that was the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs proved a lot to me on, uh, on Sunday night. And the Patriots, I've been knocking them down. Shout out to Mike McEachern, one of our loyal listeners. Um, big Patriots fan. We've been uh, chatting all season long. He's been uh, chirping me up, asking me if I'm ready for the big uh, Monday night matchup here in a few weeks as the Patriots nip at the heels of those Buffalo Bills for the AFC East and uh, both teams competing for a playoff spot in this tight AFC conference. But, uh, hey, dominant performance uh, against the Browns. Don't need to say much more than that. The Patriots, I think, are for real. Chiefs are for real. And... Those other five teams are frauds. As of right now, that can change at any point in time. Folks, that's it for Week 10, Week 11 football. Thanks again for uh, Will McFadden for joining us to help us break down what we've seen from the Atlanta Falcons throughout the course of the season and what we're going to see here in a couple nights on Thursday night primetime football. We're going to send it off to break. Like I started out, thank you for all your support. Please pop on there. Give us a little Apple review. Make sure you share your podcast, this podcast to any friends or colleagues that you may have that may be interested in golf or football. We wouldn't have been able to be what we are or ranked where we are without you. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Real life passion for real life sports. Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really want it like that, yeah, here comes the, here comes the,
All right, folks, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. Let's end this off in style here. We're into the world of golf. It's winding down. And um, pretty much from uh, the next couple weeks all the way through until uh, we hit the holiday season and the new year, um, before the new year here, uh, this is going to be pretty much a gridiron and no golf podcast because there's not a lot of ha- that happens in the world of golf. Um, we'll be clipping in and out and giving little small updates here and there, but um, we're we're winding down here and let's start off with what we ended off with, what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, and that's Bernard Longer. Uh, what a gutty performance! His back goes out the night before the tournament. He guts out a two under round in the first round. Shoots even or one over in the second round, and then a 64 on Saturday, and then a solid two or three under on Sunday, finishing inside the top 20. Jimmy Furyk has a tough final round, and Bernard Longner takes home his sixth Charles Schwab Cup. But in 14 years on the the Champions Tour, Senior Tour, whatever you want to call it, folks, 31.9 million dollars earned out there. He's won 11 of 14 money list since he's shown up. 42 wins, 39 runner-ups, 199 top 10s in 294 events. This guy's been absolutely unbelievable. Shout out to Bernard Longer on the Champions Tour and bringing home another Charles Schwab Cup. And me, per- I really wanted this to happen. I really wanted him to get one more because it's one more for the old guard, right? The new guards coming in. We we Philly Mickles four four wins in seven events. Um, you know you get him out there full time and on an 18, 20, uh, 20 week schedule. You, you may see six, seven, eight, nine, ten wins out there for Phil Mickelson. Then you got Furyk. Then you got Jimenez. You've got all these young guys. You got Stephen Alker who Monday qualifies and then for six straight events finishes inside the top ten, wins an event a few weeks ago and turns a Monday qualifier into one point one million dollars. The new guards coming out, the young guys, um, when these guys leave the PGA Tour, they just hit it longer and longer. Um, you know, you got Clarkie coming out there now. So there's just so many good good players. And it's just going to get tougher and tougher for couples and longer. Uh, I didn't even mention Mike Weir as well. Uh, so it'll be tougher and tougher for couples and longer to compete. You know, they'll be out there for another year or two. And then I think they'll just fade off into the sunset as some of the uh, – the younger guys coming out from the PGA Tour um, who are in tip-top shape, thanks to Tiger, um, kind of phase them out. Speaking of Tiger, um, video comes out, still walking with a significant limp. If you haven't seen it already, check it out. Um, so not looking too hot for Tiger. Looks like he still has some of the lingering effects from that accident. But best wishes. Hope he, hope he gets feeling uh, feeling well here and uh, can get back out on tour and at least play in a little bit um, with some of the boys out on the PGA Tour. A couple big events, and then we'll give you our picks for the uh, um, the PGA Tour event, the RSM Classic at Sea Island Golf Club, to end off the episode. But um, let's move over to the ladies. They're at the CME Group Tour Championship in Naples, Florida at Tiburon. Um Nellie Cord is going to take this home. Um, Bradington native, she's going to uh, she, she's going to win it all here. Four wins in twenty twenty one, absolutely great, 
great year for the number one play in the world. Brooke had a great finish, top five uh, last week with a great weekend. I believe she was 65 on Saturday and another low one again. Might even have been another 65 on Sunday to creep up into the top five. So hope for Brooke to have a, a great finish to really give her a little bit of mojo and kick for 2022 here. As hopefully she can kick off and really start to uh, you know get into those multi-win years and, and maybe add another major here for Brooke Henderson. Uh, so expect big things from her. So uh, the ladies will end it off at Tiburon. What a great golf course. Had the opportunity to play it once. Um, and a, a great facility. So a great way for the ladies to end off there. And um, But this is Nellie's, Nellie Cordes to, uh, to lose. But I think she's going to take this home much like Bernard Longer did. And probably the big event of the week, at least that's garnering the most names from uh, Garcia, Reed, Poulter, Morikawa, Horschel, Hatton, Fitzpatrick, Casey, Answer, Zalatoris, Fleetwood, Lowry, McElroy is the uh, DP World Tour Championship or Tour Championship um, at Jeremiah Golf Course in Dubai. The race ending off the race to Dubai, and the first time ever uh, we've got two Americans in Colin Morikawa and Billy Horschel who have an opportunity to to, uh, to take this thing down. And that's why it, you, if you turned your head a little bit when I said Morikawa and Horschel, yes, they are there, and they are right in the mix of uh, events here on the European Tour. They've played enough here, so it looks like they're going to be into the final field of, I believe, um, 68. I believe I counted was the final number. So a huge event. So that's kind of the go-to event uh, in terms of names. John Rom had to withdraw, so uh, he finishes out uh, 2021 um, in an up-and-down topsy-turvy year from the withdrawal at the Memorial to the win at the U.S. Open to uh, a little bit of everything from John Rahm and kind of a fitting way to uh, to end off a real up-and-down year for John Rahm. Some real highs and a couple couple real lows for Rahm. But um, what a great field. This is the event to watch if you're looking for top-flight premium golf this week. And that's on the European Tour and the race to Dubai. I think one of those two guys, Mount Morikawa or Horschel, are going to take this thing down. Um, but it'll be a real tight race, so uh, make sure you're tuning in there. And to end off the RSM Classic at Sea Island Golf Club in Georgia, let's get to our picks before we send you off for another week. And uh, we'll start from the bottom now we're here, and we are starting real, real deep in the bottom and that is going to be at 170 to 1 Patton Kazari listen uh 2020 finished T10 2019 or 2018 he was T15 in this event so he's showing some form here um in this event over the last few years I like him I think he's he's a long ball hitter he's got an opportunity to show well here um and he needs to kind of spearhead here before we uh we walk away until we come back in the new year at hawaii um so let's see if Patton kazari can get it going down there in georgia another long shot here um that will give you canadian canadian boy um showed some form in this event 2018 he was t15 2019 he was t30 missed the cut in 2020 by one shot 225 to one but i think david herney's starting to play a little bit better here um, over the last um, few months, and I like David Hearn as an opportunity. I think he he gives you as a crazy crazy long shot. Maybe in uh, you know place a each way bet on him, throw a few units down, 
and hopefully he can creep up there with a top five to end off this season here before we move to 2022. My rock steady pick at 35 to one. He's the Swede. Uh, he finished T18 in 2020 and T10 in 2019. Same thing. Put a put an each weight down on him um, at 35 to one. The big Swede Alex Norin uh, taken as my rock steady pick and my big gun. Listen, he's been phenomenal at this event. Um, he was T37 last year in 2020. 2019, he was second, lost in a playoff. In 2018, he was third outright. We had his caddy on. How could we not? These are, This is an event that he plays well in. Also local, um, somewhat local here. He, he's you know played in that area, so he knows these golf courses well. And that is our boy Webb Simpson at sixteen to one. We'll take him as the big gun, folks. What a great episode! Thanks as always for tuning in. Um, all I can say is thank you very much for all the support. I'm honored um, and excited to see where this podcast goes. Excited uh, to finish out season two here as we've uh, transitioned over to Triple G. It's been absolutely great through the through the summer, uh, through the spring, into the summer, and now uh, in the fall and the winter. Guest lineup has been absolutely phenomenal. And to be inside the top 200 sports podcasts in Canada, um, real happy with that. Excited to be transitioning over to uh, to some more live YouTube and, uh, you know, visual um, way to consume this podcast so excited for what's happened excited for what's to come none of it would be possible without you make sure you're following us along on facebook instagram and twitter make sure you're smashing the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts enjoy the golf enjoy some week 11 football hope you're still alive and your survivor i am i'm down to the final three and one of mine let's go titans to keep me alive and we'll catch you next week